morning, church. As previously stated, I'm, I'm not a pastor here at Red Cross. Uh, my name is Pastor Avery. I'm at Friendship Southern Baptist Church in Concord. Uh, quite a connection between the churches here, uh, or the church here and Friendship. Uh, we, we go back a long way. Uh, so I'm not a complete stranger to Jesse, uh, your pastor. Uh, I, you might hear me say Pastor Herring uh, because my pastor is Pastor Jesse. Uh, and so it's this confusion when I say Pastor Jesse, I, I might be talking about him or, or my pastor. Uh, and so it's, it might be a little bit confusing. But I've known Pastor Jesse here, Aaron, uh, for a while. Uh, I've, we go all the way back to when I was in high school. Uh, I was part of Central Barris FCA. Uh, and Jesse Herring was a youth pastor back then. And he was the contact for the FCA there, the pastor contact. So I got to know him pretty well while I was there at FCA. Uh, and, and we've continued our relationship there. Uh, but during that time, I was going to Friendship Southern Baptist uh, in Concord. Like I said, I was under uh, the discipleship of Pastor Jesse and Pastor Robert. You see the confusion there? Right? You have a Pastor Jesse and Pastor Robert, and we have a Pastor Jesse and Pastor Robert. Of course, uh, Pastor Robert Mayfield, he's uh, gone on to revitalize the church, and I became a youth pastor after he was sent out. Uh, but just an just a example of discipleship, I'm not trying to talk myself up, but uh, more of our church and what wonderful ministry has happened there. Uh, I was raised up, I've been going there since 2012, and I was raised up to be a leader under the discipleship of the pastors there. And it really is a testimony of good discipleship. Uh, and so we, I'm just thankful for great men, including Jesse Herring, uh, who has poured into my life. And I think he's a great pastor, and you have a wonderful a youth pastor as well, and Pastor Robert. I think he's wonderful. For most of the time when I say, uh, who's the best youth pastor in North Carolina, I usually point to Pastor Robert. Uh, I think he's an awesome youth pastor, and I think Jesse Heron is awesome as well. And so a little bit about me. Like I said, I'm from Friendship. Uh, I am married. I live really close to the church there, uh, and so I usually have to be there quite often. Because uh, people always are knocking on the door, and if anything goes wrong, uh, Pastor Jesse calls me and says, go to the church. Uh, but I am also married to a wonderful wife of mine whose name is Brittany, uh, and that's spelled A-N-Y. She will get an at you if you spell it like a knee. Uh, and so you make sure you say it correctly. I don't know. She gets really upset about that. But uh, my name is Avery, as I said, and I don't get upset with how you say my name. I used to, but not anymore. Uh, that's a little bit about me. Let's pray, and then let's get into the text. Dear God, thank you just for letting us gather here today, Lord, just to hear your word and to praise your name. For you are the creator and holy God of the universe, Lord. We just come in humble worship to you, Lord. Lord, I just pray that we will glean from your text today your wisdom and your word, Lord, that we will let our wisdom and our knowledge get out of the way. Listen to your wisdom. For you are the one who gives wisdom, Lord. And so I just pray that you're with us today as we examine your word. We pray this in your heavenly name. Amen. Our text for today will be Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. I'm sorry to be departing from uh, your series in Acts. Uh, I know you guys were in Acts chapter 14. Uh, but I didn't want to jump into the middle of a book, especially the middle of a book that Jesse Herring has already been preaching 14 chapters. That's a lot of sermons worth, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to listen to all the sermons, not because I don't like Jesse, but that, that, that's a lot of sermons to listen to. Uh, and uh, 14 chapters of content, that's a lot to go over, and uh, it was just a little bit too much for me to do. 
Uh, but in my youth group at the church at Friendship, uh, we've been going through uh, Galatians. Uh, we just started. That's why we're only in verse, verses 1 through 10 of chapter 1. Uh, but I, I'd like to connect this for you uh, because I don't think the connection is that far. Uh, in Acts 14, which you guys just started last week from my understanding, uh, it's a story about Paul and Barnabas in Iconium, right? And they're chased out by the Jews, right? Uh, and they're chased to Lystra and Derby. And then in Lystra and Derby, I'll continue just kind of give you the narrative of Acts 14. Uh, they're chased out of those cities and they're chased back to Antioch of Syria, right? And remember, they're chased up by the Jews who are stirring up and dividing the people against Paul and Barnabas. That's what the scripture says. Uh, but interestingly, those four cities, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, and Antioch of Syria, or not Syria, sorry, Antioch uh, of Poseidon, sorry, uh, are the, uh, the churches that Paul is writing to in Galatians. That's what many scholars believe. Uh, there, there's two theories on it. There's a southern Galatian theory and a northern Galatian theory. I'm not going to go into that, but most scholars agree that it was to these churches. So there is a connection here uh, that they're written to the churches that you're reading about Paul's first missionary journey to in Acts. So there's, there's the connection. Uh, and the connection, furthermore, is they're still having problems with Jews and Jewish believers. Uh, and so that's kind of the context of what Paul is writing about here. And so, uh, let us read our text for today. Galatians 1, 1 through 10. Hopefully you are there. Let us read. Paul, an apostle, not from man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you, and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but that there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And we said it before, now I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. May God bless the reading of his word. As you can tell, this letter starts off pretty positive, right? I think, you know, how he ends that first five verses with the amen, and then he gets into some correction. Uh, a little fun fact about Galatians. Most of Paul's letters start with a thanksgiving and praise for the church. Uh, he's probably pretty mad at Galatians because he's not thankful for them uh, at this time. No, I think the urgency of what Paul's writing here is the reason why he doesn't start out with thanksgiving. There's this, this is such a great issue that's going on in the church. And so, from this introduction, that we, we can understand that the reason why Paul is writing because there's people who are deserting the gospel that he has given in verses 3 through 5 to a different gospel, is what he calls it. Uh, and, and, you know, we can call that a different gospel. We call that a false gospel. I believe it's the term we would use today a false message of hope, a false good news. Uh, and we can gather that this gospel, this false gospel, is a man centric. Right, just from Paul's introduction, how Paul introduces himself shows us 
the authority that the other false teachers are coming with. So Paul says about himself, he's an apostle. That word itself means he's sent by God or sent by Christ. In the case you didn't get that, not from man, not through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. So, so he says twice in the first verse that he's sent by God and he's sent by God, right? And so that's to juxtapose against the people who are distorting the gospel, deceiving the congregation there, or the congregation of the churches there. And so we need to understand that this gospel is from man, this different false gospel is from man and not from God. And so he's already making this distinction. Uh, between them, which is an important distinction. But what is this different gospel or false gospel that Paul is going to battle against here or defend against? Uh, I think it would be interesting for us to actually bring this back to Acts, uh, since that's what you're going through. In the next chapter over, in Acts 15, uh, it starts talking about this different type of gospel. Now, this is not necessarily controversy in Galatians, but it's the same deal. So Acts 15 begins with verse 1, and it says, But some men came down from Judea, and were teaching the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the customs of Moses, you cannot be saved. Right? And so that, that's essentially the false gospel that's being proclaimed in Galatia. Right? It's the Jews who are coming in and saying, You have to be circumcised. You have to follow the Old Testament law to perfection. Right? I love that. That was the New City Catechism question for today. Uh, that what does the law of God require? It, it requires perfection, which that's why this is an incredibly bold statement. Because it's not just circumcision. If you follow that part of the law, you fall under the entirety of the law. And the entirety of the law only brought death, as Paul says in Romans chapter 5 through 7, as he dictates that. So it's an incredibly bold statement. So scholars have historically called these people Judaizers. Uh, they're Christian Jews. Um, and I put quotations around that because uh, they're proclaiming a false gospel, so can we really call them Christians? Uh, but they're, they're Jews that are at least interested in the Christian faith, uh, but what they're trying to do is to put back the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant, back onto the New Covenant of grace. And by meaning you have to do all the ceremonial law, all the dietary laws, and no bacon. Uh, which, I mean, that, that's just enough right there, right? Uh, no shrimp, none of the good stuff. Uh, the law of circumcision and the moral law, right? And, and so all these laws, uh, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know, like the first five books of the Bible, right? The really long ones, uh, the really boring ones sometimes. Uh, that, that's the books of the law. So there's a lot. And further reading in Galatians, it was shown us that these Judaizers have led the church of Galatia astray. If you just flip forward just a little bit uh, in chapter 2, verse 16, this is kind of, Paul finally begins his argument. Chapters 1 through uh, 2, 14, 15 are his introduction, uh, and now he gives his argument, kind of his thesis statement in 2, 16. It says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified, right? So that's kind of his thesis, right? He says, y'all were saying that you have to be justified by the works of the law. But what I preach to you, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that you're justified by faith, which is a gift of grace. And so that is the beauty of the gospel and what he's defending against. I would say the modern day equivalent of this, because I think it's important, we can we can study the, the context and you know, do great exegesis of this and, and really understand the context, but I think it's important that we bring it forward to our day as well. Uh, I say the modern day is legalism, right? There's a lot of legalistic churches out there. 
there's a lot of people in churches that believe in legalism. Uh, and it's a false gospel. It teaches that you have to be good enough or you have to work hard enough to get into heaven. And it's not what saves us. Right? It's the grace of Jesus Christ. the grace of God that saves us in faith in Christ's finished work. Not our works, right? And we see this today in a lot of Christian cults and counterfeit gospels. Uh, we see this in Mormonism. Uh, me and Pastor Robert, uh, Robert Mayfield, man, this guy catch me up all day. Uh, but we, we do a lot of talking and witnessing, or we have, uh, COVID's kind of slowed us down a bit. We've done a lot of witnessing to Mormons, and that's what they believe. They have to work their way to be, to their upper echelon of heaven, which is their own earth, or their own planet. It's really weird and crazy. Uh, if you want to read good fiction, read their books. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the, the J-Dubs, or the Jehovah Witnesses, uh, they just have a cool uh, way to shorten their name, J-Dubs. But the Jehovah Witnesses, that's why they knock on your door the whole time, right? They're working. Every door they knock on, uh, this is a really oversimplification. That, but it is a work-based salvation. They do believe by knocking on their door and, and sharing you that magazine with a cool cover, uh, that they're working their way to heaven. And even this goes all the way down to Catholicism, right? I don't think this is necessarily a Christian cult, but it's a counterfeit gospel. It, essentially, their equation is that uh, faith plus works equals salvation, but we believe that faith equals salvation plus works, right? It's an incorrect equation. They don't believe in the gospel. Uh, but, but I think what Paul points to here is the universal to all false gospels, not just a legalistic gospel, uh, but to all false gospels, because all false gospels, no matter they have a different name, or whatever, they come under a different religion, they all exchange the world's, uh, sorry, God's relief for the world's burdens. And that's actually my title for today. It is this false gospels, colon, exchanging God's relief for the world's burdens. And so that's what all false gospels do. No matter if it's the health and wealth gospel of Joel Osteen or any one of those guys, Kenneth Copeland, the social justice gospel of progressive Christianity, uh, works-based gospel of the Mormons, Jehovah's Witness, the Catholics, right? They're all working, and it's hard, right? Uh, I mean, just here recently, the social justice gospel, the progressive gospel that you have to do enough in this life to be redeemed, right? Racially redeemed, right? Well, what a terrible message, right? We can't be redeemed through our works, right? It's never enough. That's what culture even tells us, right? Good thing we're redeemed by Christ's work, not ours. And I would say this boils down to other religions, of Islam, Hinduism, uh, New Ageism, right? They're, they are, we don't normally refer to them as false gospels. We normally refer to them as false religions. Uh, but, but they are proclaiming a news. They're proclaiming a system of hope or a belief system of salvation. And so in essence, they are false gospels. They are false good news. And so uh, I know that's a weird term to say for those religions, but if I refer to false gospels, I, I really want to expand our focus for today. I don't normally use the word like this. I would normally refer to Christians that have distorted, or Christians that have distorted the false, or the gospel of Jesus Christ. But uh, for today, I think it's important that we expand our view and understand that if someone's proclaiming a message of salvation and a message of hope that is opposite of the gospel of grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then that's a false gospel. It's a false news story, a false good news. In fact, it's bad news. So that's why I include religions in this mix. Uh, firstly, my first point for today, uh, we get this from the text here. False gospels exchange God for self. And so today, uh, with that point, as you can tell, we're going to see what 
what we or someone who were to believe in this false gospel exchanges for this fall for the gospel for the false gospel. And so I think that's important because uh, that's essentially what happened. In any belief system, that, that's what Paul says in Romans with uh, essentially paganism in the Roman Empire, that they have exchanged the creator for creation. And so anytime we believe in a false belief system, we're exchanging something for something that's lesser, right? The truth, uh, the undeniable truth of the universe is that God is the creator, and he's the one worthy of worship, and no one else. Uh, but what false gospels do is they usually exchange the worship of God for the worship of self. And so that's what's going on here. Uh, we really get this, remember I, I've said verses 3 through 5 of Galatians chapter 1 is Paul's short little gospel. It's not necessarily the full thing, but it's a, a great summary of it. Grace to you, peace from God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever. Never, right? It's the work of Christ that saves us. And it's for the glory of God. Right? That's why Paul ends that the fact that Jesus died on the cross is not for man's glory, but it's to whom be the glory forever and ever. God the Father and Jesus Christ deserve the glory. Right? It's because they're holy, holy, and holy. Right? That's what it says throughout the Bible. That triune effect of that holiness of God. That this perfection of holiness. Right? And we're not holy, holy, holy. Right? Uh, Quite the opposite, in fact. Uh, and, and it's relief that we worship a God that is holy, holy, and holy. Because He won't ever disappoint us. Because He's perfect in His majesty, in the, His glory, and the honor that He should be given is great. Because He's perfect. And He will never disappoint us in that fact. We're worshiping someone who, in His essence, is perfect. And everything He does is perfect. And He is perfect. And when we change God or exchange God for self, we exchange our idol of worship to ourself, and we disappoint ourselves, right? We can easily disappoint ourselves. Uh, other people can easily disappoint you, right? I mean, uh, if, if you're married, you know that, right? I disappoint Brittany all the time. She never disappoints me, but I disappoint her all the time. Uh, and, and so... You will be disappointed if you are the center of your worship. And that's what all false gospels do, right? They like to hide it better, right? Like even going to like a false religion like Islam, right? They, they worship Allah, right? But if you just think about it, their heaven is about them, right? It's about getting virgins and, and treasures in heaven, right? That means it's about them. It's about their glory and not God's. Uh, and so I, it reminds me of this, because I think as Christians, and I think this is something that we have to go over, that Paul is writing to two type two people here. He's defending himself against false teachers who are obviously not Christian. And he's writing to Christians who have been deceived. And so I think it's important that we realize that Christians are not immune to being deceived, okay, with false theology or false doctrine, right? We can sometimes fall into that. We, we won't remain there because we have the Spirit and we have Jesus Christ who will pull us out. But I don't think yourself too bold that you will never fall into some false teaching sometimes. Our false thing. We are always being renewed in our mind, right? And this is why we have Galatians, right? Uh, this is the church figuring out what is Christianity, what is the gospel, what is salvation, right? What is soteriology, right? We use big terms for it now. What is the study of salvation? So this is the church just trying to figure out. If you go back to the story of Acts 15, right? It, the Jews are, are arguing their point from the Bible, from Scripture. And so they're just trying to figure out how it all fits together. So I think we have to be in that mind frame that he's not just talking to false teachers. He's talking to Christians who have been deceived. Uh, and we can be in that place sometimes. 
not necessarily following false wisdom and knowledge, uh, but we can definitely show that we are the center of our worship quite often. We can self-glorify ourselves and love worship from others very often. I think of this story of when I was on my first mission trip uh, to Indianapolis. It was a great mission trip. Uh, it's a weird story. Uh, there was a Avery fan club. Uh, you know, I was the cool kid, junior year of high school, about to be a senior. I had the cool dress of people. Justin Bieber haircuts, and every time I flip, flip my hair, the girls fell back. Uh, at least that's what I thought. Uh, so, you know, I was like on top of the world. I had a fan club. You know, I was doing work for, for the kingdom. I was, you know, on, on fire. Uh, and then I, we get to a hotel because we're about to do our free day. We're about to go to the Creation Museum. Uh, and there's these glasses. And I guess this is why hotels don't give you glasses no more. They just give you plastic cups uh, because they were stuck together. Uh, you know, me being a stubborn man. Uh, I wasn't going to let them be stuck together. I was going to get them out. Uh, and except I didn't get it. Well, I did get it out, but in a bad way. I broke the first glass, and I sliced open my thumb. Uh, and, you know, it just brought me right back down to earth. Like, you know, the stupidness of, of trying to unstuck these, unstick these uh, glasses. And it cuts me, right? And I think that's what happens. We, we can be brought down to earth so quickly, right? I can disappoint myself, right? I just got all this praise and glory. At least my head was super big, and then I'm instantly brought down by two Glasses, right? And that's that's what we are, right? But God's not brought down by something so simple. Because he is whole. And, and we see that Paul is astonished that they are deserting this God who is perfect, this perfect focus of worship for something that's not, right? Verse 6. I am astonished. Notice the language there. He's not he's not saying I'm worried or I'm you know like a little bit surprised. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ, deserting him. God, who called you, right? Why would you ever do that? He, he, in his mind, he's, he's going through, as he just said, right, in verse 4, that Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, you didn't save yourself, right? So why? Why are you worshiping yourself? Because you didn't do anything. You didn't die on the cross. You didn't rise again three days later. God, through the Son, Jesus Christ, did all of that. So why are you worshiping yourself? Why are you turning to a theology or a false gospel, a different gospel that says, worship yourself instead of God? Why are you doing that? The great American theologian Jonathan Edwards says this, uh, you contribute nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. You see that if you want to give credit or praise to yourself, the only foundation you have is that you're a sinner. I don't think that's a good thing to worship about yourself. That you said most of the time that's not what people worship about themselves. They worship the good parts of themselves, not the fact that they're a sinner, right? But but according to the Bible, that's the only foundation we have because that's the only thing we did for our salvation. If we are saved, is the fact that we're a sinner. We needed to be saved, and so other belief systems make you the center, but the gospel centralizes on the suffering Messiah, Jesus Christ, and God the Father. And let us always give honor and glory to Him. And I think if we continue to read this verse, at verse 6, we can see the second point, right? He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. My second point is this. False gospels exchange grace for works. Not only are the Galatians exchanging, are deserting God and exchanging God for self, uh, but they're deserting the grace of Christ. They're deserting uh, as verse 3 and 4 says, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. 
to rescue us from this present evil age. There's a certain grace in exchanging it for works, right? And more importantly, right, in the context of works of the law, which Paul has previously written to the Romans in 7.10, that the law's commands were supposed to bring life, brought spiritual death instead. So following the law only equals death. And that's why Paul is astonished. Why do you want to follow this? I preach to you that if you work off of good works or off of the law of works, all you get is death. That's why he says in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Because if you work for your salvation, you are your master. And ultimately, sin is your master, not God. And so you're being paid for your sin. And the wages of sin is death. And of course, that first ends well. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a second. But works suck, right? Work sucks, right? Can, can we all agree to that to a point, right? If you love what you do, maybe not as much. But still, there's got to be stuff like chores around the house that sucks. Uh, I, I, originally, I was going to say in this point, like, dishes suck. I hate doing dishes. It's terrible. It's boring. Uh, it's annoying. Uh, and, and so, you know, we have Dylan, but he does the dishes because uh, she doesn't mind it. Uh, and sometimes I help. Uh, sometimes. I'm not very good at it. I'm not, a, I'm not a, you know, that's why I didn't preach Valentine's Day, certainly, because I, I don't know if I'm the best example as a loving husband. I try to be. Uh, maybe that's, that's what is my redemption there. Uh, but a new story came up uh, Friday. We just got a new bed frame. Uh, we've been on the floor. I had a really old bed frame when we moved in. We just got married not too long ago, really. It's almost a year. In March it will be. Uh, so we got married in the middle of a pandemic. And so, you know, that, you know, moving in together and getting married is already crazy enough. Uh, but if you couple that with a national pandemic, it gets even crazier. Uh, and so we had this bed frame that broke because it was old. And so we had to get a new one. And so we finally did. And let me tell you, it's worse than Ikea. Okay, because how many of you ever put up like an Ikea furniture thing, right? It's terrible, right? The instructions are terrible, right? They're in Swedish, you can't even understand. This must have been from Finland or something, because it was worse than Ikea. It has like 50 steps and four pictures, that's it. And I need like the picture book. I I can't like read. And it says you don't need any power tools, and guess what I needed? The power tools, right? And I was just getting so frustrated. Right, uh, men, you understand that, right? We get a lot, we get frustrated a whole lot easier than women do, right? When it comes to this kind of stuff, we, our patience is far less than women. Like Brittany's just like, oh, that's fine, you know, just you know, loving, loving, laughing at me, getting frustrated. Uh, but you know, it, it, and I'm just working at it. It sucks, right? It's terrible. It would be nice if it just came together, right? If the bed just like magically appeared in my bed and put together, wouldn't that be nice, right? Instead of having to put this finished bed or whatever it was uh, together. And, and that's what false gospels teach you, right? They, they teach you that you must work for your salvation, that you must put together this really annoying bed frame to work, right? You say, Jehovah, what this is, right? They knock on your doors. Uh, the social justice gospel, I've already mentioned, right? Mormonism, right? They have to work. Uh, I mean, even prosperity gospel, right? If you have, if you want health and wealth, you have to work for it, right? I mean, not, not necessarily a wrong concept, right? If you want wealth, you normally have to work. Uh, but it, that, it's coupling that with the law, the law of God with that. But I have good news for you, friend. Uh, there is someone who put that bed in your bedroom without you having to put it back. It's Jesus. It's God. Because Jesus says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture. And what a wonderful reminder of the grace of God, that the world tells you you must work to save yourself, that you have to be good enough to save yourself, 
and it makes us who labor and are heavy laden, we can come to Jesus who gives us rest. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. And that is grace. It is a free gift. Romans 6, 23, as I've already said, for the wages of sin is death. So if you work for yourself to get yourself to heaven, to get yourself saved, you'll only be disappointed, you'll only get death. But as I said, that verse ends in a great way. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That is grace. It is freely given as a gift from God. Our salvation is a gift from God, grace from God. Jesus Christ died on our behalf, satisfying the wrath of God due us, paying our trespasses and sins by His wounds. And the promise of salvation was sealed by His resurrection. It's Christ's work that's given to us, that's a credit to us as righteousness through faith. And even faith is a gift from God, as it says in Scripture. And so every part of it is an act of grace, of God giving us a free gift of salvation in which we receive through faith. As it says in Ephesians 2, which we read uh, today even during the song, but in 2.8, by grace you have been saved through faith. That is it. We do not earn grace, for if we did, it would cease to be grace. Grace is unmerited favor, unearned favor. So if you work for grace, well, it's no longer grace. <laughs> this is a, uh, you know, a paradox, right? That's a wrong definition. Grace is freely given, and you do not work for it. We receive the grace through our faith by resting and receiving Christ alone for our salvation. That's New City Catechism. What is faith? Uh, so when you guys get there, it's my favorite. Um, the kids uh, are in our uh, children's program sing that song, and it's a wonderful reminder. What is faith? It's resting, uh, receiving, and resting on Christ alone for salvation. And it says for salvation again, uh, but I'm not going to sing the song to you. I don't sing well, but it's great. New City Catechism is great, uh, but it's the truth. And that's all it is. It's faith, right? Because the law requires perfection. I, I, like I said, going back to this New City Catechism, this is how God moves. I didn't talk to them. You guys are on question seven. I didn't, I didn't even know the songs you guys were going to do today. But how it flows into this message of that the works or the law of God requires perfection, right? The, the long answer. It requires perfection. And no human can keep it perfectly, right? We can't keep the law of God perfectly. Only Christ could do that. There was one human in all of history who kept the law perfectly. That was Jesus Christ, right? In Him, we have the redemption of our sins. For He died on the cross as a perfect man and rose again three days later. And it's His work that accredits us righteousness and His or our faith in that work. What a wonderful message. And then we get into real, uh, some real direness of false gospels. If we continue reading in this passage, my third point is false gospels exchange blessings for curses. Uh, as I said in verse 3 to 5, that's, you know, I keep going back there because that's Paul's gospel. He, he, the work is in Christ. Christ does the work, not us. Uh, but we see in 7, if we continue reading, we've been in verse 6, 7 says, not that there is another one. Uh, Paul's, that's great hope, that there's not a different gospel, right? Uh, I think that's an important hope that Paul does this. He just kind of intercedes on his, or he just interrupts his thought and says, hey, there's not, there's not another gospel. Okay, just, just clarifying that point. Uh, and it's important because the world wants to portray now that there's, uh, you know, universalism, right? That all roads lead to the same place, all religions, all uh, hopes lead to the same place. But it's not true. There, there's two roads, right? There's not a hundred different roads that lead to the same place. There's two roads. One that leads to heaven, that's faith in Jesus Christ, the gospel message. 
And then there's a second room that disguises itself as hundreds upon hundreds of different ways, right? Whether that be Hinduism, Islam, Mormonism, New Ageism, right? They all want to say that they all have this hope of salvation, but really it's not a hope, it's a curse, right? For they are under the works of the law. They are under the law, which will only lead to death. And this is what Paul gets at, right? In verse 8, he says, But even if we are an angel from heaven to preach to you a gospel contrary to one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And the Bible says it twice, it's pretty important. And he repeats himself again. As we have said, just in case you forgot, in two seconds, I say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Right? I mean, that's heavy language. Uh, I like the kind of the Latin word for it. It's anathema. Let him be a curse. Let him be anathema. Right? Cast it out of the glory of God. And, and this is really important because when someone preaches a false gospel, what are they according to this thought process? It says, if anyone, it's a conditional statement. So if the condition is fulfilled, guess what happens? They're a curse. Right? But the bad thing is, these false teachers are leading others to be a curse. For they are believing in that false gospel. And that this false hope, right? And, and that, I don't really want to be on this point for too long, but it's profound. And it's very short. Because we cannot be these super nice Christians. Yes, the Bible calls us to be gentle. And it calls us to proclaim the truth, though. Right? It calls us to proclaim the truth. And the most loving thing that we can do is proclaim the whole truth of God. The whole truth of the gospel message. Right? And we, we want to be these, uh, Vody Balcom always said, you know, the 11th commandment Christian, which says be nice, the 11th commandment doesn't exist. Uh, but we are to, we are to be gentle in the way we present the gospel. But that doesn't mean that we don't proclaim the truth. And as it says, the truth hurts. And it's important that we say that because we must understand that every belief system outside of those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ is anathema before a holy God, is a curse before a holy God. If they stand before a holy God in their works, in the works of the law, in their thought that they're good enough, that they've checked off enough of their good stuff, that they fed enough homeless people, that they gave water, that they gave money to the poor, if they stand before God and that's all they have, they're anathema. The curse to hell, to eternal suffering. And this should trouble our hearts. Not because this is false, but because it's true. That there's people out there that believe in a false hope. And that they're not under the blessing of eternal life. And the blessing of a great and holy God. And the blessing of grace. But they're under a curse of works. And it's not that they just are simply lost. And just need a little direction. No, they're cursed with eternal good. Death. So we must proclaim the good news. Right? And, and we have to understand that the gospel, right, that means good news. That is what it literally translates to. Gospel is actually an old English word. Uh, but in order to have good news, it must be bad news. And that is the bad news. That for those who don't believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are a curse. They are anathema. We must preach the good news to them. I've been in seminary not for too long, but one of my favorite things that I learned is kind of the context behind the word gospel. Uh, in, the, in the Greek, uh, it, it was used for when a new king became king. It was the good news of the king. It's literally what it was. And, and that should frame our mind work of the gospel that we believe in. 
It is the good news of the king. That the king of the universe has come and died on the cross for your sins. That not only is he this king that's on a throne that's far away, that he is our great mediator, our high priest who intercedes on our behalf and has a relationship with us. He loves us so deeply. He is jealous for us. His love is like a hurricane. I, I love that song. Right? That is the gospel we proclaim. The gospel of the king. And that is the urgency of the gospel. Right? There is a new king in charge, and we are to proclaim that gospel to the whole earth. Because there's plenty of people who are under the bad news, under the curse. Lastly, uh, my last point. False gospels exchange glory for pride. Dr. Al Mulder, when discussing the prosperity gospel, stated this. It exchanges the hope of the gospel centered on Christ and his accomplished work for a wishy-washy, self-centered self-exalting message of psychotherapy. Right? And Dr. Muller is a really smart guy. Recommend his podcast, The Briefing. It's great. And, and I know this is just one form of false gospel, the prosperity gospel, but it is true to all gospels. They exchange the hope of the gospel that is centered on Christ, and in the end that we will be with Christ for nothing, for psychotherapy. For self-centered, self-exalting teaching, which leads ultimately to nothing. It may feel good for that time, it may feel good for now, but it's only for yourself. It's not really good news, right? It makes you feel good, right? They, they're exchanging uh, temporary fixes, temporary pleasures, temporary feelings. That's what they've gotten instead of eternal glory with God, right? It's, it says in Scripture, those he just, those he calls, he justifies, and those he justifies, he will. Glorify, right? That's the ultimate hope of salvation, right? That's why I said it's great that these hymns were there. We, we sung about the resurrection of the believers twice today, right? That, that's the ultimate hope, that we would be made perfect with God in heaven and be with God forever, right? And that is greater than anything this earth could ever give us, greater than any praise that we can give ourselves, any praise that we can receive from other people, right? And it feels good, right? We like, we are prideful creatures, every single one of us. We wish to be praised, and we wish to have self-fulfillment, we wish to have wealth and health and all these good things and power and popularity, we yearn for that, right, that's why social media is so big, because look, I'll take a picture of my Instagram, look how cool and uptight and together my life is, praise my togetherness with me, praise it with me, that's what we are proclaiming to the world, society, that you should Present yourself as together to be prideful of that, right? But Christianity says, no, you're not together. You're a sinner and you need God. But ultimately, that, that sinner who's been called by the grace of God, who has been justified by his faith, in the end, our greatest hope is that we're glorified with God in heaven. And that is greater than anything this world will ever give. You know, it's often been said that, you know, False gospels sell themselves high. In all actuality, they sell themselves low. You know, false gospels sell themselves high in the sense that, you know, it says, look at your life. If you do steps A, B, C, D, except it's not normally that short. It's like the whole alphabet that you have to do, and plus, plus Greek alphabet and everything. Your job will be great. Your family will be great. Right? It promises this, right? That's a real big thing in Mormonism, right? They, they really center in on the family. Like if you, Believe and follow these these guidelines. Your family will be with you in heaven, and your family will be great, and you'll have your own earth, and it'll be fantastic. 
right? And so it's, it, it sounds great, right? If I'm telling you this, it's like they, they literally are salespeople, these missionaries. It sounds great. But in reality, reality, they sell themselves too low. They exchange God's eternal glory for man's finite worth, right? I love my family. But in comparison to the holy God of the universe, there's no comparison. I love my wife, but still she doesn't compare to God, right? And these gospels, I, I mean, I like to I like to be able to buy Chick-fil-A whenever I want to. I like to be able to buy a new bed frame when mine is broken, right? I like to have money to do those things. I like to be popular. I like to know people. I like to talk. Uh, but in comparison to God's glory, there's nothing. There's nothing. So today, I hope you understand how terrible an exchange it is, these false gospels. Not, not just the one that's presented in Galatians, though. It is just one of the many. Now these, it's a terrible exchange. That you're exchanging God's relief for sinners and sufferers, for man's burdens, or the world's burdens, to the self-righteous. Because ultimately, what do false gospels exchange? They exchange salvation for judgment. They're exchanging the hope of eternal salvation and God's glory forever and ever in heaven for eternal punishment in hell. They have turned into God who can save for their wretched self. Not save. I love the song Amazing Grace. Who has saved a wretch like me. Why would I want to praise a wretch? They have deserted grace, the free gift of God for salvation. For work that leads to death. Grace leads to salvation. Work leads to death. Why would you exchange that? They have lost blessings and gained curses. You know, I always find it interesting. when you, That's a real famous hashtag now. Hashtag blessed. And, you know, a lot of these people aren't Christian. And uh, sad, it's a sad thought often that uh, you're not really blessed. You're temporarily blessed. God is benevolent in all His glory. He's still benevolent to the sinner, right? But in ultimate, all actuality, you're not blessed, but you're still under a curse. They abandoned God's glory for meaningless, finite prizes. As I've already said, they've exchanged God's relief for sinners, for the world's burdens, for the self-righteous. There's a message of relief. There's a message of burden. There's a message that says, Come to me, all who are weary, for my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And there's a message that says, I don't care if you're tired, you've got to keep working. One is good news, one is bad news. And that's, so what does this mean for us, right? You know, this might be just wisdom and knowledge of understanding Galatians, but what does this mean to us? How, how do we connect this to, to apply other than belief in the gospel? That's always the ultimate application. You always find it interesting that uh, I'm in a youth pastor network. They're trying to relate to these kids. And like, we've got to find applications for your life. Now, the ultimate application is believe in the gospel and preach it to yourself. That's the ultimate application. But there's some others here. I understand that Paul is writing a letter to the churches of Galatia, like I said. And there is a hope uh, present for those who have deserted, right? As I said, he's writing against false teachers who are not Christians. But I do think he's writing to Christians that are currently being deceived. And so I think his hope is twofold from this letter. I hope that this is my hope as well today. First, uh, my hope and Paul's hope is for the ones who are not Christians. They will hear the good news that you're not saved by your works. You're saved by faith. You're justified by faith through grace in Jesus Christ. And that they would believe in that. That's the first hope. But secondly, for the believer, Paul hopes 
that the Christian who has been caught up in this false gospel, this different gospel, that they would repent. Christian, we are not immune to being led astray with falsehood. The good thing for those in Christ, they will never remain astray. Maybe you need a reminder today. We need that reminder constantly. It says that we should preach the gospel to ourselves daily. Because we can often present ourselves as living for ourselves. We can present ourselves that we work our way to heaven. Right? In the way we live, sometimes we can say, I'm, I'm doing enough good to get to heaven. Right? Sometimes we get in that mind frame. And we shouldn't. We should repent from that. And turn and rely on Christ. That's what we should do. Trust and worship God. Rest and rely on His grace. His work for salvation. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, just thank you for this day that we get to come and worship you. Lord, thank you for a reminder, Lord, of, of these false hopes that are in the world. Lord, let our hearts and minds be on you forever, focused on you, pointing always to you, Lord. And may we not rely on our works for heaven and for salvation. May we rely on grace and the fact that our justification comes through faith, not works of the law. Lord, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins, who took our place, who was the atonement, who was the propitiation for our sins, Lord. For we deserved your wrath, and you diverted it to him, and has given us a blessing, for he became a curse. Lord, we just give you all praise and honor for that message. We pray this in your most heavenly name. Amen.